Welcome back to America Can We Talk. I'm Debbie George S. I'm just so glad you've tuned in. It's top of the second hour. We always do our cruise through the news. Never have enough time for all the stories, but I want to just run through as many quick stories that touch on America as I can in a short amount of time. One is that there was a shooting today in Jacksonville, Florida. Apparently, the gunman is dead, along with four other people, 11 people injured, all arising out of an online video game, which I guess the gunman lost. I'm terribly sorry for the loss of any human life. I cannot believe I mean, I don't, there are very, very few details that have come out, and so maybe some more will that make even the tiniest bit of sense out of such absurdity. Sorry, I'm just sad and sorry for the loss of life and amazed that that kind of thing could happen. Okay, and also, uh, I want my cruise to the news, I want to hit a story I really kind of liked that happened, um, which was in uh, the state of uh, Georgia, in Atlanta, Georgia, there was a public school that started out their new school year. You know, here we are in the beginning, fall, new school year. This was actually a charter school, but it's you know, funded by tax dollars. Atlanta Neighborhood Charter School. The principal of the school came out before the school year started, Lara Zelsky, and announced that she'd noticed the kids weren't that interested in saying the Pledge of Allegiance anymore. So even though the, the uh, city requires or the, the school district requires that public schools say the Pledge of Allegiance, her idea was that she was going to have these uh, teachers and the K-5 through leadership team work with students to create a school pledge that they could stay instead. And the school pledge would include their civic uh, pledging to do their civic responsibility to their school, family, community, country, and our global society. So they're going to replace the Pledge of Allegiance in America to the American flag with a global society pledge. Well, God bless the parents in Atlanta, Georgia, who just said, no way, no way. The parents protested, compounded with, fortunately for those parents, uh, the Georgia House, the Speaker of the House in Georgia named David Ralston quickly jumped in the fray and said, I'm sure our House Education Committee will examine whether taxpayer funds should be used to instill such a divisive ideology in our students. Bottom line, same day, less than one day, school officials backed off, took everything they had said about this back off their, their website, said, oh, no, we didn't really mean that. We're going to do the Pledge of Allegiance. I'm telling you, alertness in, uh, among parents and patriots is vital in this country. I'll tell you something else. This is another thing. I was talking in the last hour about how the communists are spending money shaping policy in America by giving money to all these organizations and student groups and colleges around the country and organizations in Washington you might think are otherwise rational. There is an assumed acceptance among the anti-American left that they're somehow doing good. They're somehow doing something right if they agitate against the goodness of America, if they agitate against the idea of what the ideas in the Pledge of Allegiance, the idea of what America is all, what it stands for, the exceptionalism, the freedom of the individual. There is a moral high ground the left claims that they are somehow that they are somehow getting kids and parents to be more insightful by abandoning 
patriotism and loyalty to America and embracing this global mindset. And and part of the push of the, the radical left's media arm is to make a mockery of simple ideas of patriotism, simple ideas like, you know, America's a good country with, with an extraordinary history, not perfect, but a great country. And that in America, we pledge to our flag. So I love that those parents did that. Uh, second thing, um, in this cruise to the news, uh, top of the second hour, British protesters are planning to hold an event in the, in the Parliament Square in London with an enormous balloon up in the air, like a kite balloon, above the Parliament Square with a uh, the London mayor, whose name is Sadiq Khan, is called, and the, the balloon is called Bikini Khan. It's basically advocates for free speech in England saying, since the mayor of London agreed to have a, a mocking, you know, giant balloon floating thing above the um, parliament um, when President Trump was here, was there visiting, whatever that was, a couple months ago, that they think that, you know, since Khan had to okay that and he said that was fine, surely Khan will apply the same standard. Let them fly a, a balloon and they're having a parliament ice cream party or something silly. But the point is it's an, it's an on media, uh, online uh, social media effort. They're inviting people to come and they can mock this balloon of Khan. I don't know whether uh, they'll get permission or not. They actually said they think they will get permission. Um, I'm not too sure about that. But I think the idea of just these uh, people standing up against this obnoxiousness you know, as, as one of them said, the founder of it said, you know, to be clear, if if anyone had wanted to make a mockery of President Obama when he visited England, Mayor Khan would never have allowed it. This is only the anti-Trump mentality. Next cruise to the news story. We have uh, Palestinians. The Palestinians are furious because President Trump, the Trump administration has announced they are cutting $200 million in aid to the Palestinians. And they are cutting that aid. You might realize that the Palestinians are continuing the barrage of rockets into Israel, continuing to attack Israel and threaten Israel. And I have to say, this is one of the reasons people love President Trump. Instead of the scolding, you know, cajoling, come on, you guys, you really shouldn't do that. He's just saying, look, if you people are going to keep it up, we're going to take away your money. Now, I know there's an argument that's really Hamas who's responsible in the Palestinian Authority, you know, whether it's West Bank or Gaza, it's uh, two bad guys are really doing it, and the poor Palestinians are the innocent victims, and, you know, in a way they are. On the other hand, they do have the right, and the, the, they should have the responsibility of removing Hamas and the Palestinian Authority from running the show in their area. So love that President Trump is willing to speak up. Next quick story, the DNC was finally forced. We have five seconds left in this segment. Come right back after the break to America Can We Talk. We'll be, we'll be right back. Our nation faces a choice, the path of big government based out of Washington or the unique brand of liberty and prosperity enjoyed here in Texas. For 27 years, the Texas Public Policy Foundation has helped leaders in the Lone Star State prove that fiscal restraint and small government can deliver opportunity and prosperity for all. The Texas Public Policy Foundation promotes and defends solutions here and around the country based on liberty, free enterprise, and personal responsibility, whether informed the 
national debate on property rights, energy, taxes, education, or criminal justice, the foundation works to translate ideas into real change. The Texas Public Policy Foundation does not accept government funds or contributions to influence the outcome of its research. It is supported by thousands of people like you who are concerned about the future of our country. You can help Texas remain strong as the beacon of liberty in America. Visit TexasPolicy.com to learn more. Our military and veterans have served all of us, defending our nation whenever and wherever duty calls. But at home, when their families need support, they know they can turn to Operation Homefront for help. Operation Homefront provides military families with critical financial assistance, transitional and permanent housing, and family support programs throughout the year to help prevent their short-term needs from turning into long-term struggles. When you support Operation Homefront, your donation will make a real difference because 92% of their expenditures go directly towards programs that our military families need most. Each year, Operation Homefront serves thousands of military families, families in your community, helping wounded veterans transition to civilian life, helping military families pay overdue bills when their loved ones deploy overseas, and helping them through their short-term struggles. Make a difference today and help serve America's military families. Visit OperationHomefront.org. That's OperationHomefront.org. If you want to get at the issues that really matter for women and men, go to IWF.org. That's the Independent Women's Forum. IWF is all about increasing the number of American women who value free markets and personal liberty. IWF's motto is all issues are women's issues. They bring a fact-based approach to politics, policy, and culture. When the left tried to peddle a phony war on women, IWF shot back with facts and figures. American women aren't victims in need of ever-increasing government protection. And IWF doesn't think things are perfect, but they believe that individual liberty is the key to prosperity and fulfillment. Along with their sister organization, Independent Women's Voice, IWVoice.org, which is a leader in the fight against Obamacare, they offer policy papers, op-eds, and a popular blog on issues of the day. So visit IWF at IWF.org. That's IWF.org. America faces unprecedented threats to our national security. The Center for Security Policy, based in Washington, D.C., is a national leader focused on the organization, management, and direction of public policy coalitions to promote U.S. national security. The Center is a special forces in the war of ideas dedicated to identifying opportunities and challenges likely to affect American security and acting promptly to ensure that they are the subject of focused national examination and effective action. The Center enlists support from executive branch officials, key legislators, and other public policy organizations and brings these teams together to develop and shape policies that will keep America safe. Check out centerforsecuritypolicy.org for the latest news and developments brought to you by America's leading security experts. Becoming and remaining informed is one of the best ways every citizen can be a part of the mission to keep America safe. That's centerforsecuritypolicy.org. Welcome back. Welcome back. I'm Debbie Georgettis. I'm just so glad you've tuned in. Okay, I got to tell you something. 
every week when I do this show, I always end up feeling like, even coming into the studio today, there's always more stories that I want to talk with you about than time there is to talk about them. And it's really hard to pick the ones that matter the most, the ones that have some, um, you know, just have consequence for America. So, um, but I want to touch on one that really ties into what I was talking about earlier tonight, much earlier tonight. I was talking about the story about the young girl in Michigan who had uh, made up a story. She had told the police and her parents that a, uh, a white, you know, a young five-year-old black girl had talked about, uh, claimed that a, a, a white guy in their neighborhood, a 60-year-old or so white guy, had um, had urinated on her and called her a racial slur. And, you know, it was a just obviously horribly ugly story. And so I think many people were relieved to learn it wasn't true. But, and I, I, I'm not pounding on that girl. As I said earlier, I'm really actually very impressed by the parents who even after the police and the, the uh, social worker interrogators finished talking to her and believed her, the parents kind of just, they knew, they knew it wasn't true. They knew their child. So they, they spoke up and got the girl to say, okay, actually, I made it up. So, but I get at that. I want to raise that story again to remind you about where, how challenging it is in America where we have the anti-American left working all day long every day to inflict division, to hurl allegations of hatred and racism to anyone who dares to disagree with anything they say on any subject. There's always an insult as an answer. It's kind of like that shut up, she argued, answer. They, it's, it just, there's never a discussion about the issue. There's only discussion about, you know, if you don't agree with the left-wing view, then you must fit into one of these categories of evil. You're either, either racist, xenophobic, homophobic, Islamophobic, a hater of something. But getting around to what's happening in South Africa and the way that the American left, in fact, the Southern Poverty Law Center, the, you know, just thoroughly disgraced, uh, you know, hate monger, just kind of, they, they kind of um, hate, you know, they're hate mongers. Uh, what they do and what they did in this case. So very quickly, the story is in South Africa, the country of South Africa, you've probably been hearing that the government in South Africa has, uh, in the past due to the um, you know the great inequity of apartheid they decided they had a policy that basically if white farmers would sell their farms to the government the government would then in turn uh, disperse those farms give those farms to either individual or groups of individual black uh, South Africans who uh, were far more impoverished so they were they were helping to transition, uh, you know, I guess, I don't know if you call it ownership or just control the farms, but that was a policy up until recently. But last year, and then coming to play it to fruition this year, the government of South Africa has announced that they're going to begin taking, as in seizing property, taking the farms from white South African farm owners. And, and, and they're, they're not just farms like, I mean, they probably are farms that produce products and I mean, produce, you know, uh, agricultural or, or, or have livestock, but they also have game farms there. They have people going hunting trips down there. They have game farms. They have all sorts of different exotic things and people like to travel South Africa to see them. So the government announced this year that basically uh, they're going to start just taking the farms away with no compensation, and giving the farms to uh, the people that the government chooses, which are the are, are black African um, citizens. And so this is, you know, apartheid, to be really clear, if you didn't know, apartheid ended, um, I'm going to wrote it in my notes here, apartheid ended in 1994. So apartheid existed from 1948 to 1994. 
Now, just one example, real-world example. There was one farmer who's speaking up, um, and he's not going to. He's, he's been informed by the government that he's on the list. They're going to take his farm away. And the quickest story in him to understand the, the challenge that is, um, that is facing South Africa, this farmer, he didn't buy this property until 1997. So he bought it, apartheid's over, he's a white guy, he and some, a business partner of his bought this big piece of undeveloped land, and it was this nothingville, turned it into an exotic, uh, uh, I don't know if you call it ranch, but like an exotic hunting thing, I think. But the point is, he developed the land, he built buildings, he brought in all sorts of exotic animals, he has visitors come, he's worked and developed this from nothing into an exotic, uh, game, he calls it a, an exotic game preserve. This is one of the pieces, and, and he's been in negotiations, the government's been wanting to buy this from him to give it to somebody else. The negotiation with the government was, he was saying, they are, they are offering about one-tenth of what it is owed what is what it is valued at? So, he's saying the government's saying sells your property for one tenth of its value. He's saying no, I want real real value. So they they were in a, in a disagreement. They hadn't come to terms. Well, now he's been notified that we're just going to take your property away. Compounded with that is he has he's had some um, uh, speculators come and, and he was forced to permit them to do some digging in his land to d- discover if he's got minerals under his property. It turns out he does very valuable minerals. So the basic story is the government of South Africa is seizing his or plans to seize his game preserve, turn over ownership to uh, some group uh, as yet undetermined of, of black citizens of South Africa and basically take his property away and give him nothing for it. And South Africa, there was one official in the government who was basically saying there have been, by the way, and we've talked about in the show before, a string of violent attacks by black citizens of South Africa on white farm owners in South Africa. Murders, I mean, just in the last one-year period, 47 white farmers were murdered on their own property by people uh, breaking in. Basically, they're saying, you got to give us your property. So I will say, none of us live through apartheid. Obviously, it had a challenging, very, very challenging influence on the culture and the uh, and the, the economy, the all, the whole of South Africa. But it's also a, a you know pretty pretty abrasive thing for a government to say we're just going to take away your property. And this guy who's who's really being among the main spokesperson named Johan Steenkamp. He didn't, it wasn't like one of those properties that he inherited from his grandfather who inherited from his grandfather and been in the family for generations. He bought it with his own money and went to develop it to hire people to come and work there. He wanted to hire people who wanted to live there. He wanted to develop it. And so I want to get this idea that what is happening is the government is deciding that they can reward black citizens and and punish white citizens. And so Trump has put a tweet out to uh, relating to this story, essentially saying that he is wanting uh, his own, his Secretary of State. Uh, I'm sorry, we get the exact language of that tweet. Trump's tweet said, "I have asked Secretary of State Secretary Pompeo to closely study the South Africa land and farm seizures and, and expropriations and the large-scale killing of farmers. South African government is now seizing land from white farmers." And he's quoting from Tucker Carlson. I want to get this idea really, really clear. If And so what's happened, so he says he's going to do that. The Southern Poverty Law Center leaped into action 
tweeted out, Trump's tweet last night about South African farmers is one of the most startling examples of this president indulging in racist thinking. So they're calling it racist if Trump wants our own Secretary of State to look into whether or not this is occurring, whether it, what, 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 is, what it's all about. And Southern Poverty Law Center is basically saying that Trump can't even tweet and talk about with his own secretary, secretary of state what he thinks, if anything, America should do, at least to be informed about the facts, and maybe, I don't know what kind of action we might take. It might affect a trade deal. It might affect aid. It might affect other things that none of us know about. But the Southern Poverty Law Center's assumption that Trump wanting to have us figure out what's really happening in South Africa. And, and first of all, the Southern Poverty Law Center to lie, they, they tweeted, they, in fact, they lied, they said the narrative, it was a fictitious campaign, that it's a, it's a false narrative that there's an effort to exterminate Afrikaners, which is the name for white uh, South Africans. I mean, it's been all over the news. Of course, it is, everyone knows it's true. It's been reported, it's been video, it's been reported. But what you're hearing from the Southern Poverty Law Center is, because Trump is standing up when there is racism against white owners and in favor of black owners, that makes him a racist. And I wonder what would happen if the reverse were happening. Would the Southern Poverty Law Center be calling President Trump a racist if he spoke up because a government somewhere in the world was taking away property from black property owners and giving it to white property owners? In fact, in that case, Southern Poverty Law Center would be saying that President Trump should take the side, should should just jump in the middle of it and stand up for the... My point is that racism isn't just against one race. Racism isn't anti-black. Racism isn't anti-white. It isn't anti-Asian, anti-Hispanic. Racism, the concept, is using the color of skin or the ethnicity or the background of a person to judge them or to give them rights or take rights away from them, to make broad assumptions based on skin color, national identity, and national origin about what your rights should be. And so I'm, what I'm, I'm telling you, folks, this is Southern Poverty Law Center, you know, to get in the middle of this, to say that Trump shouldn't even look into whether or not South Africa is stealing land from white property owners and giving it to black property owners because that makes him a racist. This is why Southern Poverty Law Center is such a cancer on America. I'm Debbie Georges, America Can We Talk. Come right back. If you're on Facebook Live, come right back. Four-minute break. We'll be right back. Hi, this is Debbie Georgiatis. If you are listening to America Can We Talk, you know that my show is dedicated to preserving the exceptional idea that is America. I want to take a minute to tell you what I mean by that. Unlike almost every other country on the planet, America's culture, our very identity, has nothing at all to do with ethnicity, race, or national origin. Instead, America is all about ideas, including the most basic idea that each of us, simply because we were born has the God-given right to live out our individual version of life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness within the guardrails of the Constitution and our laws. Preserving this requires patriots in every American generation to grasp the importance of this truth, to recognize and fight back against the subtle and not-so-subtle relentless attacks on American liberty, and to speak up for and defend the unique culture of American-style liberty. The federal government spends $900 billion annually on anti-poverty programs. What has it produced? 
75% of black children are born into fatherless homes. 43% of the prison population is black. The black poverty rate has remained at twice the national average. And cities like Oakland, Baltimore, St. Louis, and Detroit are in ruins. Instead of helping, bad policies and billions of dollars have spread a sickness in the black community. It's time for a cure. The Center for Urban Renewal and Education, CURE, led by President Star Parker, is addressing our nation's most critical problems in our nation's most distressed zip codes. CURE's mission is to fight poverty and restore dignity through faith, freedom, and personal responsibility. To find out more, to read about how CURE works, and how you can help, please visit urbancure.org and sign up for our weekly newsletter. Together, you and I can cure America. America is greatly blessed by the men and women serving in our military who are defending us every day, making our freedom possible. Military families also serve, and they face hardships while dads and moms are far from home. Military families endure frequent moves around the country and overseas, requiring them to adjust to new schools and make new friends over and over. They also face anguish while their soldiers deployed overseas, often in harm's way. The Army Scholarship Foundation offers one way to help military families by providing academic scholarships to children and spouses of soldiers. And you can help. Visit ArmyScholarshipFoundation.org and consider making a tax-deductible donation to help a military family member pursue his or her educational dreams. Assisting military family members with their college education is a great way for all of us at home to say thank you to our military families for your service and sacrifice. Visit ArmyScholarshipFoundation.org and get involved today. The right to freedom of speech, to be who you are and to speak your mind, is a foundational American value enshrined in the First Amendment to our Constitution. And nowhere is that value more important than on America's college campuses. But too often on our campuses, unpopular political opinions or religious beliefs are met with censorship or even violence instead of honest dialogue and discussion. And Texas colleges are no exception. Schools like the University of Texas at Austin, Sam Houston State University, and the University of North Texas all place burdensome restrictions on free speech. That's why the Foundation for Individual Rights in Education, FIRE, fights back against the censors to defend liberty on America's college campuses. Does your college or alma mater uphold our most cherished American value of freedom of speech? Find out by visiting thefire.org and consider lending FIRE your support. Welcome back. I'm Debbie George Addis. Just love, 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 love talking to you every week and every Sunday night, 6 to 8 p.m. Central Time. Also, um, for those of you who get our, your weekly email, uh, you're probably wondering, where is Dr. Jerome Corsi? Uh, he's not here. Um, and on the weekly email, if you'd like to be on our list, you can email me at americacanwetalk at gmail.com, or you can comment. If you're watching this on Facebook Live, uh, you can comment, you know, add me to the list. But I'll just tell you that we had Dr. Jerome Corsi scheduled uh, come in tonight or to be on the phone actually for an interview and um the combination me being california 
The show's in Texas. He's in the East Coast. Uh, we had a little time zone confusion. I'll just leave it at that. So <laughs> we've rescheduled him sometime in September. Sorry to be it. We will miss him. But he'll, he'll be there another time. Okay. So, you know, I want to talk about this uh, controversy that seems to be ongoing between uh, President Trump and Attorney General Sessions. I think it's actually uh, it's a very good sign that President Trump is speaking up. And um, I want to hit one other tiny little point related to race relations in South Africa. I, I think, um, you know, this it's very troubling that you can't have a discussion about anything without the racism label being hurled. But I, some very good news in America, and I really think this kind of thing is just astonishing. It's, it's kind of sim. It's kind of symbolic, symptomatic, uh, evidentiary of the American left's re- just relentless unwillingness to agree that the ideas of America, free markets, freedom, these ideas I'm about to share with you, are what make, uh, make America successful, make people successful. There's great news in America related to the progress uh, with the African-American family in America um, in, in recent times, like now. And so I want to share that with you. Uh, the new advertiser in our show, Star Parker, who founded CURE, Center for Urban Renewal and Education. By the way, she has a great weekly email or daily, whatever it is. You should go to CURE and subscribe to her email. But she had a column out that was talking about a study that was done by the American Enterprise Institute. And, you know, this is just great, great information contrasted with the agenda that the South African government is on, which is, to wrap up that story, socialist. What they are doing is finding a way for the government to seize ownership of private property. They decide who owns it. And somehow that's going to make everything fair and right. And it's just headed for a collapse, headed for a financial collapse, headed for disaster. And, you know, the idea that people who are wanting to help, wanting to to, you know, to, to help ameliorate, ameliorate the situation. Those are the ones being called racist. The truth is South Africa is on a, a path toward misery if they think the solution to everything is the government seizing control of property. It never, ever works. And that's what's happening. And in addition to the, the inherent racism of just saying we're taking land away from one race and giving it to another race is the bigger picture of their saying. And the solution to all economic inequity is uh, brute government force. It never works. Okay, but on this great study, and by contrast, here in America, United States of America, a study that was done by the American Enterprise Institute and reported on by Star Parker in her recent column, um, she was talking about this, this study from American Enterprise, just, and this study is called Black Men Making It in America. The engines of economic, for, excuse me, the engines of economic success for black men in America. Let me tell you the good news in America that has come to lifting up, you know, there's, there's so much concern and everyone should be concerned. We don't want any pocket of America, anyone, any particular race, ethnicity, any group of Americans to be in poverty. We always want avenues up or we want avenues out of poverty. Here's factual data, bugs the daylight side of the left, which is why they don't ever report these kind of things. Today, 57% of black men have made it into America's middle class compared with 38% in 1960. Add to that the idea that the share of black men who are poor has fallen from 41% in 1960 to 18% in 2006. 
But the biggest thing this study happened to do, you know, I talked in the show before about other organizations have studied and basically said, I mean, many, even liberal groups like the Brookings Institute have said, if people will stay in school, finish high school, get a job, don't have kids till you're married, and don't get married to at least 20, you have almost no chance of ever ending up in poverty no matter your skin color, race, ethnicity, national origin. Those factors are just human life factors that prevent poverty. poverty. But in this study, American Enterprise focused on the particular value to Americans of three things. And they're called, she's calling it three institutions, military service, church attendance, and marriage. And basically the numbers are these. For, this is basically all with respect to black men in America – by 54 to 45%, you're more 54% uh, who have military service made it into the middle class as compared with 45 who did not. So another big indicator of being able to make it into middle class, to, to comfort in America's middle class, the vaunted middle class, the left is always claiming to try to help. Church attendance. Think about that. Church attendance. 53% of blacks in America who attend church are in the middle class versus, sorry, I'm sorry I keep bumping the microphone, um, to a 43% not. Also, the biggest difference of all was marriage. Marriage tends to engender responsibility, inspire responsibility, inspire success, hard work, getting a job, all of that. So 70% of married black men compared with 20% of never married, I can't ask too many numbers, basically 70% versus 44 um, make it into the middle class because they're married. So marriage, military service, church attendance, huge indicators of success in America. Love this data. I love facts. Facts are beautiful things. Okay, now finally getting around to what I said I was going to talk about was this, this ongoing battle between President Trump, or it's, it, it's a battle of words, but President Trump and Attorney General Jeff Sessions. And recently in an interview, President Trump uh, said, I think it was on Fox, yeah, he basically said that, you know, um, I put an attorney general who never took control of the Justice Department. Jeff Sessions never took control of the Justice Department. Um, he recused himself. He shouldn't have done that or he should have told me. Um, you know, and so he's basically saying, I don't have anyone running my Justice Department who's listening to me. And then uh, Jeff Sessions shot back with, uh, this, uh, a, uh, I took control of the Justice Department, blah, blah, blah. He ends up saying, well, I'm attorney general. The actions of the Department of Justice will not be improperly influenced by political considerations. I'm going to get to more in a second what in the world Jeff Sessions is really meaning. But first, I want to play a clip. There was an interview this morning with Maria Bartoloma and Congressman Daryl Issa, which I think is clip two, and I think Greg has it. And we are back with Congressman Daryl Issa, Republican of California. And Congressman, we were just talking about Jeff Sessions, the attorney general, a moment ago. And you said Jeff Sessions is the only one who can do this to, to, to right this wrong ship, but he's not doing it. Should the president fire Jeff Sessions, Congressman? Well, I think that the president has an obligation to make it clear, and I think he's done that, that Jeff Sessions has to step up to the plate and do his job. He's ordered open and transparent communication. In other words, give Congress the documents they're asking for in the most unredacted way possible. And what he's done is allowed the bureaucrats to slow walk us and give us documents that... Uh, uh, look like a black cow eating a licorice at midnight. They're just all black. That's right. And that's, that's unacceptable. And so when the president 
rightfully so, says that if Jeff Sessions won't do it, then the president will, in fact, use his authority to clear the classified request and the uh, attorney-client privilege and the presidential uh, prerogatives out of the way and make it available. And this is something that needs to be done. Of course, you need to make sure that if somebody life is at risk, that you protect them. But after that, uh, the rest of it really is the president saying he wants to be open and transparent, and every one of his cabinet officers needs to heed that and provide that kind of information quickly. Okay. I want to say, folks, I, I, I can hardly overstate the importance of what I'm about to say. When you're president of the United States, you get to pick your cabinet. One of the most important positions in Washington, one of the most important agencies, one of the more, you know, that just forms the basis of the rule of law in America is the Department of Justice. President Trump has not had one since he took the oath of office. His Justice Department, once Jeff Sessions recused himself, has been in the hands of the, whatever term you want to use, deep state, Obama loyalist, left-leaning, you know, uh, coal, the, uh, you know cabal, the, the um, group that's trying to undermine the president to throw the president out of office. The Department of Justice is being run by the people who want to destroy the president. Jeff Sessions has done nothing to help that. Even, for example... Jeff Sessions, we see Rosenstein and appointing Mueller. Mueller investigates everybody under the sun Trump's ever met since fourth grade. Sitting right in front of him is Hillary Clinton, her astonishing scandal with the emails, the entire apparent collusion of the Hillary Clinton, the Russians, the um, you know Comey and Clapper and Brennan, all of those people, this cabal cooperating in a, in a hoax accusation to take him down and no one at the helm of the DOJ to stand up for him. Trump is right. More on this after the break, by the way. This is Debbie George America Can We Talk? Come right back. Do you know that one in nearly five United States residents lives in an immigrant household? That we take in more than one million new legal immigrants every year? Studying the impact of federal immigration program is the mission of the Center for Immigration Studies, the nation's only think tank looking at the broad national effect of immigration policy. Whether it's on crime, welfare, national security, or the job market, CIS digs out information about immigration from government sources, translates it into English, and makes it available to the public, the news media, and policymakers in Washington. Check out its work at CIS.org. CIS makes the case for better enforcement against illegal immigration and lower levels of legal immigration in the future. Most other special interest groups pursue the opposite. The only thing standing between them and open borders is an informed public. Get informed and stay informed by visiting CIS.org. That's CIS.org. Have you heard of the Policy Circle? It's a national network of women who come together in neighborhood conversations to discuss the public policies impacting their communities. You can think of it as a book club, but instead of reviewing a book, members discuss public policy issues. Policy Circle members have access to membership-only resources and benefits that complement a thoughtful framework for women to come together and have fact-based discussions. From healthcare to poverty, 
From free enterprise to education, from fiscal responsibility to the First Amendment, we discuss the issues that shape America. Change starts with a conversation. Conversations happen when women across the nation are connected and engaged in their communities, openly sharing their views and taking a leadership role in policy dialogue on what human creativity can accomplish in a free economy. Are you ready to join a growing network of engaged women? To join or start your own policy circle, visit thepolicycircle.org today. That's thepolicycircle.org. Let me tell you about the group Vice President Mike Pence called the most effective grassroots pro-life organization in America. It's the Susan B. Anthony List, and they're the ones who are on Capitol Hill right now, day in, day out, to fight back against Planned Parenthood and the abortion industry. Every day in our nation, abortion takes more than 2,000 innocent lives, almost two every single minute of every single day. And Planned Parenthood is the largest abortion business in the country, committing one-third of all abortions. It's an unspeakable tragedy and a stain upon our nation and our humanity. And it's up to us to do something about it. This is your opportunity to join the team that's leading the charge to end abortion. Go to sba-list.org or Google Susan B. Anthony List now to learn more and start saving lives today. Our military and veterans have served all of us, defending our nation whenever and wherever duty calls. But at home, when their families need support, they know they can turn to Operation Homefront for help. Operation Homefront provides military families with critical financial assistance, transitional and permanent housing, and family support programs throughout the year to help prevent their short-term needs from turning into long-term struggles. When you support Operation Homefront, your donation will make a real difference because 92% of their expenditures go directly towards programs that our military families need most. Each year, Operation Homefront serves thousands of military families, families in your community, helping wounded veterans transition to civilian life, helping military families pay overdue bills when their loved ones deploy overseas, and helping them through their short-term struggles. Make a difference today and help serve America's military families. Visit OperationHomefront.org. That's OperationHomefront.org. Welcome back. I am Debbie Georgiatis, and this is the fastest two hours of my week. Every week, I want to thank you so much for tuning in. If you're watching on Facebook Live, I want to remind you to come to Facebook Live on Wednesday at 3 p.m. Central Time every week. I do a podcast. I kind of do a deep dive on one or two subjects. Love having you tune into that. I also want to encourage you to follow me on Twitter at Debbie Can We Talk. I have one more big topic I want to hit tonight, but I want to wrap up something about what I was saying about uh, President Trump and, and Jeff Sessions. It is an impossible situation President Trump finds himself in. He's sitting in the White House. He has the entire Department of Justice, and not just the Mueller investigation, now digging into, you know, everyone he's known since fourth grade, and all sorts of ridiculous level construct constructs of what might have gone wrong and, should, and, and all that kind of thing. But he has, he's... The, not just Trump, but the into- entire country is watching as you see Mueller continuing to dig in not to see back to his original charge if there is any collusion, was any collusion between Trump or his team 
and the Russians, which has long ago been resolved, no, there was no collusion of any kind. Everyone can see that. Now we're looking into people who worked for Trump and 10 years earlier committed some business deal, may have truly violated a law. I'm not saying they didn't. But the point is, the Mueller mission is not to answer the question, did Trump collude with the Russians? The Mueller mission is to set up Trump for impeachment. It is to incentivize the voters to show up for Democrats. It is to cast a pall of suspicion over his entire campaign, entire presidency. It is to freeze him in power in Washington, make him unable to move. And, you know, so back to the exchange. So Trump said on Fox, you know, come on, I don't have a real attorney general. And Jeff Sessions said, you know, yes, you do. and We won't be improperly influenced by political considerations. The entire mission of the Department of Justice at this time is a political mission to destroy President Trump. And this is why he's so bothered. And frankly, why so many Americans are bothered. The way Trump responded, he did say, Jeff, this is great. What everyone wants, which is, you know, not to be influenced by political considerations. So look into all the corruption on the other side. And he says, including deleted emails, Comey lies and leaks, Mueller conflicts, McCabe, Stroke, Page, or FISA abuse, Christopher Steele and his phony and corrupt dossier, the Clinton Foundation, illegal surveillance of Trump campaign, Russian collusion by the Dems, and so much more. I got to tell you, folks, for anyone out there who is, I, I don't have, I am so grateful that Twitter was invented. I'm grateful Trump has it available to him because this response is exactly what millions and millions and millions of Americans are, are thinking. They're looking at the situation and saying, we have, this is a, an impeachment mission. It's not a get at truth. It is a one-sided, only one side of the American political equation has to follow the law or can be subject to accusations of violating the law. The other side can do whatever they want forever, and it never matters. That is the message the American people are hearing from this entire investigation, and they're outraged, and they're right to be outraged. It is the most ridiculous situation, and then Trump has to put up with, you know, at least has Senator Lindsey Graham saying, well, maybe Trump's got to get rid of Sessions. I mean, he's not really helping, but, you know, that is, of course, not, um, you know, not on the cards, at least right now. And then Senator Ben Sass, who's, you know, usually a fairly good Republican, Senator Ben Sass of Nebraska, warning Trump against firing Sessions. And the other convolution of this is, if Trump were to fire Jeff Sessions, he either, and he's going to have then Rod Rosenstein acting as the, the Attorney General, that's a disaster, and, and another enemy of Trump, and he's going to, ha or he's going to have to make a nomination, and there has been clear message from McConnell in the Senate, he will not hold another hearing to get another Attorney General approved until after the midterms. So Trump is stuck. He is right to be outraged. He's right to be complaining. And one other thing, because I think the more he brings it to the public's attention, the more it makes voters realize that this is just a political coup happening on the left, a silent, bloodless, orchestrated, conspiratorial coup to take away the present the people chose. That's what this entire Russia-Trump collusion Mueller investigation is. And the people can see that. And the more Trump talks about it, 
More people say at the dinner table, well, I don't know, Mildred, why don't you think that Mueller ever looks into Hillary? Why doesn't Mueller figure out about the Russian dossier? And, you know, was, was that a collusion between the Hillary team and the Fusion GPS and Christopher Steele and the Russians? I mean, you get people talking and thinking, yeah, the guy is just being taken advantage of. And they're right. One of the big points I want to make about this before I turn to I'm going to run out of time, but I want to tell you one of the really big points in this story. There is no other vehicle for the American citizen, the American people, to have a role or a voice in dealing with Jeff Sessions and the Department of Justice directly. We can't vote them out. We can't vote to remove them. We can't defund them. The only voice the American people have to complain about the just unconscionable dishonesty within the Justice Department in getting the FISA warrants, the unconscionable ongoing conspiracy involving Peter Strzok and the whole slew of them, Cabal and and Brennan and Clapper, the only vehicle we have is the voice of President Trump. There's no other way for the people to say to the DOJ, do your job, go after you know, applied justice, as I think it was Kimberly Strassel had, you know, the, uh, you know, Lady Justice is not blind. She, I mean, she's Lady Justice is blind, not just one eye, totally blind. I mean, you're either going to go after everyone the same or you're not. And I got to tell you the other, uh, other um, analogy. I want to get to something Peter Strzok uh, was discovered about him. But the other analogy I want to plant in your hearts and minds and encourage you to think about is this. There were prosecutions, was a prosecution, and there was another one coming up of Manafort. And he was found guilty in a bunch of charges. And then the Michael Cohen, the lawyer for President Trump, pled guilty to some things this week. And I, I went in great detail in my podcast. I'm not going to go over this again, except the short-term thing, just short messages on Cohen. Just because Cohen pled guilty and the Southern District of New York uh, U.S. Attorney's Office accepted a guilty plea from Cohen, claiming that the payment by Trump to Cohen, or the payment by Cohen to, you know, the, the porn star, and uh, so, you know, he, the pole dancer, wherever she is, so, you know, he, Cohen, pays the pole dancer, and then in turn, Trump uh, reimburses Cohen, and this is a woman who's claiming she had a fling with Trump, who knows, I don't know, I frankly don't even care, but it's not a violation of the federal campaign finance laws, and this is what numerous serious political and legal analysts have been trying to say all week. It's Trump's own money. He's not using campaign finance money. It's his own money. And it is, as many people will do when they enter office, they settle things because they don't want to have headlines and, and, and arguments and, and just, just a big mess in their campaign from outstanding claims. They settle claims where they don't think they did anything wrong as many people will do in litigation in, in, in federal and state court and all over the country. You settle a claim just because you can't spend the time and the money to fight it. People do it. So they're very clear, overwhelmingly clear, Trump has the right to pay off Stormy Daniels, whether he, she, you know, whatever he really happened, what happened with her or not, if it's, it's his own money. And so he hasn't violated the campaign finance laws. But where we are now is the nitpicking of the, I mean, it's, it's bad enough. We know the American left wants to get Trump. I mean, the Schumers, the Pelosi's, the entire left-wing, you know, anti-American left wants to get Trump. 
And so they think, well, they have something now because he, he got involved with a porn star and he paid her off to silence her. You know, that's not a crime. And, you know, but that's not the impeachment standard. But what I really want to get at is this. It's one thing to understand that the left-wing cabal wants to destroy him. It's quite another thing, a whole different thing, to be hearing voices on the American right. And I'm talking about whether you're an establishment, you are a conservative, you're a Tea Party, you're elected in Congress, you're a senator, or you're just a Mr. Nobody living at home in your farm in Iowa. Whoever you are, the the people on the American right need to get a little better perspective, a little bigger picture about what is happening here. It's kind of like a city has been nuked and you're, you know, it's just disaster level nuked and a police officer pulls someone over for jaywalking. And you say, officer, uh, actually, this, you know, this, we're in big problem here. And the officer says, yes, I know, but right here it says, you know, you can't jaywalk, and he writes you a ticket. This is failure of the officer to have any context for what's happening. This is the same thing that's happening on the right with people willing to pillory Trump over this poll dancer or whether he paid off the poll dancer to be quiet. It is In the grand scheme of the challenges America was facing when President Trump won his election, we had the American left completely in charge of this country for eight years. We had them taking over the health care system, taking over the banking system, just normalizing and legitimizing socialism as a norm in this country. Like, sure, our whole idea is the government owns things and it, it takes people's money and gives it to other people. We had the corruption of the Iranian deal. We had the corruption of a deal where we gave, we gave millions and billions, rather, to the biggest, the largest terror exporting country in the world, Iran. We had serious wrongdoing. We had the country practically over the cliff. And we had an encrusted ruling class in Washington, happy to let the EPA control more and more of your life, happy to have the departments, the IRS, weaponized against the American people, happy to have many elements of the federal government weaponized by the big government, socialist-loving American left. That's where America was. People showed up for Trump in the 2016 presidential cycle because they wanted more than just a slight correction on trade policy or just a slight correction on immigration policy. They wanted someone who would come in and insist on the unique, extraordinary greatness of America, his terminology, America first. They wanted someone who would secure the border, someone who would be strong and say, we're going to drain this massive swamp in Washington. We're not going to let the left, through the agencies of the, of the federal government, destroy the freedom of the American people. That's what people wanted. And they got it with President Trump. And so the cop who gives a jaywalking ticket is like the Republicans who sit back saying, well, I don't know. He paid off a porn star. Get some perspective and let it go. I'm Debbie George I am sadly out of time. The America Can We Talk. Come back next Sunday, 6 p.m. Central Time. Thank you for listening to America Can We Talk with Debbie George To learn more or to contact Debbie, go to AmericaCanWeTalk.org. America Can We Talk truth about America. America.